I'm Lindsay Hotmeyer, and welcome to Storyhouse. This is a podcast about growing your business, but it's also about slowing down the noise so you can give the world the best parts of who you are. So if you've struggled with all the buzz around storytelling only to feel like you don't have a story worth sharing, or if you're tired of being forced on the wheel of marketing that doesn't feel right, but also feels impossible to ignore, then be sure to meet me here every week to hear from real business owners as we dismantle all the should-dos and must-dos of business. Hear how they've wrestled through their own struggles and walk away with strategies that help you authentically and sustainably grow, scale, or pivot the business you've built. Andrea Butcher has spent more than 20 years as a business leader, executive coach, and advocate in the talent development and the human resources space. She leads organizations and leaders from the big picture to execution with a proven track record of growing and strengthening organizations. Andrea has an inherent ability to quickly connect, understand pain points, and offer empathy and support to help others take accountability for making improvement. She also hosts HRD's weekly podcast, Being at Work, which highlights stories of executives leading through difficult challenges. And I am thrilled to have Andrea on Storyhouse with us today. She has a really thoughtful and powerful approach to how we look at and tackle and step into leadership. And so, Andrea, thank you for agreeing to come on Storyhouse. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Lindsay, thank you for hosting such a great show and building community and giving me an opportunity to share perspective and share my heart and with your listeners. Yeah, this is great. So I just want to dive right into the deep end. And I'm going to ask you a question that I didn't even give you a heads up for. And it's best kinds of questions. (laughs) It's this is why leadership? Like we've talked about it obviously for decades and decades, but even more so today, and maybe that's not true. Maybe it's just because I'm 46 and I'm more (laughs) into the conversation now, but it feels like it's just, everybody's talking about it. It's a big hot button issue. So why, why leadership? Why are we talking about it? Why does it matter today? Maybe now more than ever. Because we are all trying to figure ourselves out. And leadership development is self-development. It's the reason that I have a feelings wheel right behind me and that multiple times a day, I have to check in with myself. The other thing that comes to mind immediately when you ask the question, why leadership is because everywhere I go, there I am. And I'm always influencing and I'm always having impact. And so only when I take the time to recognize that influence and that impact Do I have the capacity to grow, to get better, to choose another way? Big part of leadership development is recognizing the part that you play. It's taking ownership for the stuff in your life, the good and the not so good. It's easy to cast judgment. It's easy to place blame. It's easy to say that the situation was different. But you know what? Across all of those situations, you get to choose 100% of the time how to show up. So the best leaders are the best learners and are always looking at how can I be better? Yeah, I love that. Tell me a little bit about for you specifically, why leadership development? Like one of the questions I love to ask my clients is if we could have chosen a thousand things in the world to do, and this is where you landed. And so for you, talk through that journey a little bit with me, because I think it will inform our, the rest of our conversation. Yeah, it's my origin story. 
So I have an undergraduate degree in psychology, have always been interested in why people do what they do. So there's a natural development, growth connection with that degree. And then I have a master's in human resource development. When you look back on on your life, those people that asked you those questions that at the time, you're like, what are you talking about? But those are pivotal moments. I had a professor because my plan was to get a clinical PhD, a, a PhD in clinical psych. That was my path. And I didn't get into any PhD programs. And so I had a professor that said, you you really liked your industrial organizational site class. Have you thought about human resources? There's a human resource development master's program here at Indiana State. What are you talking about? What's human resources? My parents were both school teachers. So I didn't have business context. And I honestly, I didn't know what HR was like personnel, employee development, like those were all foreign concepts. But as soon as I was introduced to it, I realized, oh my gosh, this is psychology in the workplace is what this is. So my first role, then you asked about why leadership, my first role as an HR generalist, I was working for a global organization. And so I was so fortunate. My first role, literally, I worked with leaders all over the world, got to travel all all over Europe for several years. And I was supporting sales organizations across North America. And I realized as I was working with these leaders and these employees and these sales organizations, I realized that all of the challenges pointed back to leadership issues. And where we had litigation, where we had performance issues, where we had employee challenges, I could always point it back to the leader. And I remember there was this leader named Steve that we always talked about. Oh my gosh, there's nothing happens in Steve's branch because Steve led well. And that's why there was nothing for us to do is because Steve was actually leading. And so I realized really early in my career, oh my gosh, these HR and these employee relations issues would essentially go away if we were equipping leaders to actually lead. Like, why are we not focused proactively on that? And so I went to our head of HR and pitched to that to him. There was all kinds of training and development happening in that business. It was about 10,000 employees globally. And so we were investing a lot in product training and sales training, but there was no leadership development. And he had come from Abbott Labs and Shell Corporation. And so he had seen progressive leadership development and said, yeah, let's go for it. And actually promoted me into a position that gave me an opportunity to lead leadership development across that business. So one of the things I know about you, a couple of things first, I love that emphasis that you discovered early on, which is my husband and I talk about this often, like where there's a crisis, whatever it be, on whatever industry, whether it's education, business, wherever, we talk a lot about the crises that are existing there and trying to tackle them on a level that is seems to be missing the point that where there's a crisis, look to the leaders and you start there. And so that's number one. But number two, then, as you talk through that, what intrigues me is your approach, because you have taken a really strong stance against training and in our book heavy course heavy <laughs> training heavy world where it's a here's the step by step approach just become a disciple of a b or c and you will become the best leader in the world you're saying it's really not about the training it's something else so can you speak to that yeah and just 
let me just even ask a question to your listeners and try this on. Like someone asks you, do you want to participate in leadership training? It's a very different feeling than do you want to be better as a leader? The second question evokes growth. Training, the connotation in the first question, training is somebody's going to teach me something. It is very arrogant for anyone to say, I have something to teach you about leadership. I've been coaching and facilitating leadership development for 20 years. Lindsay, I don't have anything to teach anyone. I am every single day, I show up with a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I don't have anything to teach. I can ask questions and I can point you to who you are through that. I can encourage the good things I see in you but it's not a training process. It's a growth process and meeting people where they are, because I think we've also tried to structure growth in a way that everyone has to fit into this box. And that's not how growth happens. Growth happens over time in a really messy, awkward way when there is. So the key ingredients that I always point to across growth experiences, like if you would ask me, how do leaders grow? I would say you you need four things. It's going to look very different depending upon the context and the challenge and the circumstances. But across all growth experiences, I think there has to be, in order for growth to happen, there has to be focus. If you throw too many things at me, my brain can't handle that. Let's chunk the learning into small, like manageable things. Right now, I'm just going to focus on my values and really understanding what those are. Even saying to someone like, let's be more authentic. What in the hell do you mean by that? But if I said to you, let's take a step back and let's really get clear on what it is you value. It's manageable. I can go through an exercise where I explore the non-negotiables in my life. So focus is the first thing. The second thing I think there has to be is a level of psychological safety. I know that's a word that's being overused. You can look at the people in your life who have modeled to you and have taught you things. And there was trust and there was safety in that relationship. It felt comfortable where you felt more comfortable letting your guard down, exposing your vulnerabilities saying, I don't understand. I'm not clear. That's when growth happens. When we take the mask off, we're willing to say, I have no idea what I'm doing here, or I'm struggling here. And so much of the time we show up to training classes with posturing and trying to prove ourselves and trying to be something. And gosh, like that's just the odds are stacked against you then. It's only when you can say, I'm really pretty pretty scared here. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm struggling here. That's when growth happens. So focus, psychological safety, accountability is the third one. And we only need to look at our own experiences to see the power of accountability. So when I first started running several years ago, I was in a running group and on cold, snowy mornings, when I didn't want to get out of bed, the only reason that I did to do that run is because someone was waiting for me because I had a training partner. That accountability, there's all kinds of research. My favorite is the Association of Talent Development did a study around accountability and growth. And having a specific accountability partner that is checking in on the thing that I said I would do, the odds of my doing that thing go up 95%. So we know that accountability is critical in growth. 
peer accountability, self-accountability, obviously, leader accountability group. We try to build into our growth experiences multiple levels of accountability, just given its power. And then the last ingredient, the fourth thing, I alluded to this earlier, it's time. And I don't just mean like finite time, like six months or nine months. I also mean like the time to struggle, to practice, to be awkward with it. Anytime we're doing something new, like we all know that. And so we got to give ourselves grace to, to fall down, to struggle, to be weird about it, to not do it right and keep going. That's when growth happens. I love that. One of my core values is to lead with grace because I do feel that's such an important thing to give to ourselves and to others. But I don't feel like we collectively as a culture do that really mm. well. It's no. like we can talk about it, but we don't do it very well because it is really hard. And one of the words that I heard you say two or three times, you talk about the struggle. You oh, talked about it with time and you talked about it even in there's power in the struggle as you talked about psychological safety. And it's fascinating to hear you say that now, because in the last couple of days, I've really been inwardly thinking about the concept of the struggle or even suffering and how that kind of defines who we are as humans. That's part of our human journey. And I think as we advance in technology and life becomes easier, we're, we're struggling with this idea of how much struggle is okay. If I make things easier, am I as human? Am I as real and as authentic? And so how do you help mm. leaders step, embrace that idea of struggle, like truly embrace it when we live in a society where we're constantly pushing against truly embracing it? I think it's a couple of things. First of all, I think it's having a growth mindset. With a growth mindset, you recognize that struggle is a part of the process that because we're, think about, we are designed for growth. I think that's why we're here is to evolve and to be better and to have experiences that teach us things. Of course, struggle is an important part of that equation. So it starts with mindset and then it's giving leaders the space to struggle. One of the reasons I love being an executive coach is because I think I'm good at sitting with people in the struggle and not reacting. Someone will say, oh my gosh, this was so awful. And I'll just nod my head. I'm thinking like, it sounds like life because I believe like you're up for it. Life is working with us. And I do believe life gives us exactly what it is we need to grow into the person that we are designed to be. I'm reading a book right now. With, it's my favorite subtitle of a book I've ever read. It's called The Discipline of Disturbance. And the subtitle is Stop Waiting for Life to Be Easy. <laughs> And it is seriously every page, Lindsay, I'm like, yes, it is so affirming the work that I do as a coach. I've been talking and podcasting about this book a lot because it's written by a therapist and he he gets that in his patients, that it is in the struggle that they grow. And so being willing to wrestle with that, with leaders and not shying away from it, but instead pressing into it. Whole, like metaphorically holding their hand through that. You're okay. Mm -hmm. You've got this. Look, you're breathing in the struggle. You are alive in the struggle. You're having awareness in the struggle. How do those leaders um, then take what they're learning? They're embracing their own struggle. What's the trickle down influence in their own cultures as a result yeah, of that? It's huge. 
And I think it's not just in their own cultures, it's in their lives, in all aspects of our lives. Again, wherever we go, there we are. And so we take that into everything we do. I do believe we treat the people in our lives based on how we think about ourselves and how we treat ourselves. Mm. And it's that relationship with self. So as my relationship with self improves, of course, my relationship with the people in my life are going to improve. My team, I'm naturally going to be more open and more curious and give them a lot more grace. Same with all of the other aspects of my life. The trickle down is huge. That is a really powerful, true and ever so basic, but it's like one of my favorite writers, yeah. C.S. Lewis says some of the most powerful things mm. that you're like, oh yeah, that, that's so obvious, but yeah, you didn't have the smarts to think through it yourself until he wrote it. <laughs> and that's, we treat others based on our relationship with self. And so those days where you're feeling particularly ugly towards the world or everything's gnawing at you, like that is a red flag to, to step back as just a, a person, as a leader and say, what is going on in my internal world that I'm responding to others this way? Yes, um, because that's where our power is. Right. That is where our power is. I get, I'm getting emotional from that thought. There's so much goodness there. And it's why I started with leadership development is self-development. That's where the work is. And it never ends. I always giggle to myself when clients say things like, you know what, I've gone through those programs before, or, oh my gosh, you're missing the mark. Mm -hmm. It's not about a program. It's never about the content. It's always about you. I am such a consumer of assessments and processes. And I just before I hopped on, I was on LinkedIn and someone had posted this new growth mindset assessment that I'd never seen before. And I had to do it right then. <laughs> what new am I going to learn about myself today? Because it's so fun. Like you're always peeling back the layer. We are never done. And gosh, I just can't imagine those individuals that that feel like I've done that. I've done, le again, training. I've been through that training. Oh, that's just like saying I slept last night, so I'm not going to sleep tonight. I'm good. <laughs> if only it worked like that. <laughs> Never done. What about for those leaders that you run into that resist this growth mindset? Because for them, it feels a little too woo-woo, too up there in the clouds, like all this self-development that's so soft, like just, what do you say to that? First of all, I don't hang out with those people. <laughs> that's so, what you say to it. <laughs> I'm so fortunate that I really have very few people like that in my life. It's because it's fear. It's fear. It's fear of being vulnerable. We know that it is through our vulnerability that we connect with people. And so I have no doubt that if they're afraid of being vulnerable, they lack connection in their lives. They probably don't have a lot of really connective, deep relationships. I actually said there's a leader that I know that is a, he's an Enneagram eight. I don't know if, if you know the Enneagram. I know the numbers, but I don't know. I only know mine as far as in the details and the others. I'm like, okay, Enneagram eight is pretty outgoing. Like drive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but fears, weakness, fears, vulnerability puts on like a lot of armor and like ready to go. This is your like kind of strength mentality. And mm -hmm. We were talking about being ourselves completely. And I asked him in a safe moment, I said, how many people in your life do you feel like you can be completely yourself with? And he said, no one. 
Well, and and that touches on the cord of the isolating nature of leadership. The higher you climb in the ranks, the lonelier it becomes. And so how do you deal with that? That it is more dangerous, seemingly to be vulnerable and authentic because that can be weaponized against you. That's why I think CEO groups and Vistage groups and executive coaching have become so powerful because leaders recognize as an executive coach, I would never not have a coach because I need a safe space to share and to divulge. And I have lots of tribe groups and different places in which I can grow in different ways. And for me, and I don't know, I think everyone has to figure that out on for themselves. But for me, that has kept me grounded. It keeps me accountable. It keeps me tapped in. And the people that I have chosen in those circles are speaking into my life. I've given them authority to do that because I trust them. There's an openness there. And I think I strive to be an open book. I talk a lot about on my podcast that you referenced, I do a daily dose of leadership and I cry a lot on there. (laughs) I am really vulnerable. It's become a really safe space for me to process my own shit and my own struggles. And that has so helped me to grow. And what's really interesting is I've had just a couple of people in the four years I've had this podcast and talking through my vulnerabilities, I've had only a couple of leaders say things like, gosh, you aren't you like worried about the perception of others? And yes, I am worried about that. But what I have found is by and large, it has created way more connection than it has pushed anyone away. And that connection has been so valuable. People saying, me too. And thank you for sharing your story. I can very much relate to that. I see myself in that. I feel that. That's the feedback that I get mostly. That intentional pursuit of community is what's required Mm. to push back against that loneliness or that fear of being vulnerable. You just have to be intentional about finding others that you can pour into and vice versa is what I hear you saying there. Yeah, that's well said. And being willing to be the first one to say I'm struggling because that then opens the door for others to share. Absolutely. I was in a mastermind a couple of years ago and we were at a retreat and that was me. I was the one who, you know, out of the, I don't know how many of us were there, 20. I was the one and I'm not a crier. Like my husband can probably count (laughs) on both hands at the times in our 26 years of marriage. He's seen me like truly cry. And I was the one who starts sobbing, like all of my business entrepreneurial fears just come out in that moment. And the leaders of the mastermind said to me later then, thank you, because that broke the dam for vulnerability for everybody else. Like it became safe in that moment. It became real for everybody else. Oh, okay. We're allowed to, we're allowed to take our armor off. We are allowed to actually get a little bit more real with what we're actually sharing about ourselves. Yeah. yeah Cause it's risky. It's risky in doing that because you're admitting, I don't have it all together. This persona that you see, because I have to put it out there. There's more to me than just that. There's more to me than just the strength that you see. What about this is a hard one because it focuses, it's asking you to focus just on one thing, which I'm sure you have other things that you could riff about for a while on this question. But when it comes to leadership, you've been at this for a long time. So what's one thing that you feel like we're getting really wrong about how we're approaching it, how we're trying to plug the gaps? 
Yeah, we're assuming one size fits all. There's a lot of leadership development programming where there's groups of 20 to 30 leaders and certainly there there is value in that. I think just bringing people together in community can be really valuable. But it lacks depth. It lacks the meeting people where they are. So ways that we can ways that we can alleviate some of those challenges are one-on-one coaching or even group coaching that just goes a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. But I think just like broad strokes just not going to be effective. And I think it gives leadership development then a bad name because it just, it stays very surface because because it's self-development, right? It requires a depth in order to really be effective. Yeah. It goes back to what you said earlier. You said, I have nothing to teach anyone, which is such a powerful thing for somebody in your role to say, I'm not here to teach you anything. It's really, sounds like it's really about you creating space for these leaders own lived experiences to teach them the truths that they need to know. Yes. So well said. I'm definitely going to have to write that down when I listen (laughs) back to this because thank you. That was so affirming. That's it. Because so many times, because they haven't had that space. They've been so busy, so focused on results. So managing and navigating very full lives that they're compromising themselves in the process, which is why I hear so much from coaching and participants and leadership processes that we're leading say, this has been so refreshing. This has been so life-giving for me. This has been, it's going to a workout. Like I didn't really want to, cause I've got so much going on, but I feel so much better afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because you just tapped in to who you are. Of course yeah. that feels energizing and good. It's what yeah, you're designed just, to do. I was just reading something this morning. I can't remember who it was by. I think it was in the Atlantic that I was reading this article and they were talking about, it's a researcher that talks about the three phases of story when it comes to our lives and how in childhood, we're really focused on plot. It's just all about the details. And so you even think about the stories we read and tell as children, it's all about plot. And then as we get into early adulthood, it's more about us being the agent, the agent of the story. We're focused on us being the main character of the story. And then when we get into older adulthood, it's more of the author perspective that we're taking where we're at that point, finally able to look back and start connecting the dots. Mm. And that resonated with me because so much of my work is about that stepping in, doing just like what you do, creating space for people to part all of the layers of their lives and Mm. really under start to make sense of some things and start to understand these are the storylines because few of us push pause on the everyday moments of our lives long enough to bring those things into focus. And so we never step outside of the plot agent role of our story. We never step into that author role where we're truly able to reflect, truly able to make sense of things, which is what you're saying with your work with leaders is you're creating that space to allow them to reflect. It goes back to your point on focus. You said that there's so much going on, the brain can't handle. And I think it's hard to give ourselves permission to stop and focus, especially as a leader with a thousand and three things on their plates every single (laughs) second of the day. How do you help empower them to actually do that piece, to actually focus? 
to give themselves permission to, we're going to focus just on the values piece, even though there's 10 fires over here too. Right now, the thing we need to focus is focus in on is this, how do you walk them through that? Yeah. Making it as easy as possible. So providing structure, not just saying we're going to do a values clarification exercise, but literally taking them through the exercise, giving them a deck of values cards and asking them to sort them into different piles and, and then saying, okay, now that you've got these values that are important and you've probably got 30 cards, synthesize those, find categories. So making it easy, taking them through a process, normalizing it, telling stories about other leaders who have done that and sharing the value of that. How does a leader determine what it is they need to focus on? Does that make sense? Like, how do they know all the, cause I am a firm believer in most likely if they're going to take some time to focus, to really focus in on and clarify, these are the values because those values inform everything else, every other storyline that's being told. Some of those fires that they have been trying to put out are going to extinguish on the mere basis that they took the time to focus in on that. But how do they know there's that where you come in? Is that where you come in? Because yeah. there's so much, there's so much for them that they so can't zero in on. This is what I need to focus in on. How right. do you determine what to focus in on? From a values perspective or just generally? I just think generally, like generally. If, if they have all these plates they're spinning, how do they know which yeah. one to actually put yeah. their eye on? That's where I think the bigger picture is always helpful. A question I love to ask is, what do you want? What is your ideal? Because so often we're so focused on like the muck of what is come out of it, go bigger picture. What are you trying to accomplish here? Mm-hmm. That usually brings good focus. What do you want? Yeah. You Cause want that's a hard question. Want. It's really easy to know what we don't want. A yeah. friend of mine said that once to me, she said, what do you want, Lindsay? And right. I started answering with all that I didn't want. Don't she want. stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. And she's, that's yeah. not what I asked you. <laughs> yes. Because you're so focused on what it is you don't want. That actually, that's what you're getting more of. It's hard to give ourselves permission to, I think for many leaders who are probably servant leader minded to begin with, it's really hard to give ourselves permission to think about ourselves in that way. It's not my first response to put Lindsay first as a mom, as a wife, as a business owner. I'm most comfortable being last. I wasn't a firstborn. I was child number two of four. Like I'm most comfortable just stepping back so that other people can shine. So it feels really awkward and just not okay for me to think about me. Mm. Is that common amongst other leaders or not always? Are you an Enneagram two? Nope. I'm an Enneagram four. I'm an Enneagram four. four. An INFJ. I think part of that is just who is who you are, that you are naturally a servant heart. And, but here's the thing, Lindsay, that may be what it is you really want. And for you in stepping back, it could be like, I want to, I want to lift up or highlight these people in my life. It is really what it is that you desire. Yeah, absolutely. Like I just rebranded my company name to Storyhouse 15 a few months ago. And that was one of the biggest reasons why I did not stepping out as just my name because my work isn't about me. It's about helping others. And I was very specific to say, I'm not saying that anybody who brands as their name is wrong because that's not how I feel. But for me, it wasn't okay. It was forcing me to be at the front of the train in the spotlight. And that's just not me. And when I was able to rebrand, 
it felt more honoring of who I am, the work I'm trying to do. So I just had to turn off all the voices of everybody's advice out there who was like, you really are your brand. <laughs> yes. That's the definition of authenticity is really seeking to claim what is it for me that is real. And that's what it is for you. And that's, I think what's interesting is there are what, 8 billion people in the world. And so there are 8 billion versions of what does real look like? And we, we try to categorize, we try to, one, one of the challenge with assessments, like the DISC assessment, there are four styles for 8 billion people with uniquenesses using that. Cause that can be helpful to generalize some patterns of behavior but also recognizing that we all have unique approaches and ideas and thoughts. That's really special. Yeah. That's I've always been, I've never liked when, when job postings or interviews have you do the disc assessment or the Enneagram or the 16 personalities, Myers-Briggs. Cause I always feel, and it's, this is probably the INFJ and four in me, like, are you going to weaponize my personality against (laughs) me? Like, I don't like, I am not just this, this might give you an idea of who I am, but I'm so much more layered than that because you don't know the lived experiences that pour into what I've gone through. And I think that's important for anybody, any business owner, any leader to note that about themselves and about the people that they're leading, that we aren't just, we aren't just a certain specific type to really dig in and honor those experiences that we've lived through and understand how they inform and shape how we move through the world. What about what are we getting right about leadership? So you dug into Mm. the wrong aspect. So let's redeem the conversation and talk a little bit about what are we doing right about it? Yeah, I have been doing this work for a long time, as you mentioned. And when I worked at a previous leadership consulting business, many years ago. So what now, like 16, 17 years ago, I was there. I spent a lot of time determining ROI, making the case, talking about the return. And I don't do that anymore. (laughs) I'm so grateful that all of the research that has been done in the space and just the recognition that it is the right thing to do. Businesses are such an interesting forum for growth and development of people. I mean, we all know we spend more time at work than we do anywhere, any other facet of our life. And of course, the business, the place in which we're spending so much time is going to be a place for growth and development and exploration and learning about myself. And just so the appetite and the readiness I think a a lot of that is, is the world is ready for it. The workforce is demanding it. We want to be in a place that sees us, that invests in Mm -hmm. us, that wants us to be better, that cares about us. And leadership development does all of those things when it's done well. I have seen it over and over. I have seen it change culture, even in giant organizations. MasterCard is a client of ours. And In 2018, I started working with the business operations group in MasterCard. It's led by an incredible leader named Kim Martin. And she recognized that she had all of these technical leaders in her organization, 
that were really good technically. And she was asking them, they were doing some very innovative kinds of things and business operations. And so she was asking all of them to be a bit more visionary, to bring their teams along more. And leaders were really struggling because they were good at getting results on their own, but they had never led others to do that. And she saw leadership development as an opportunity to really change the culture. And they have. And so fast forward, what, five years, we've taken over 300 leaders in her organization through a growth experience to build skills and visioning. And there's a lot of self-development. There's values clarification that help that happens through that. And their engagement scores in that function are the highest across all of MasterCard. People within the organization are always coming to her asking, what are you doing? How are your teams so engaged? Their turnover is lower than any other function. And all of it points back to, she will credit leadership development as the thing that has really changed the way in which they're working and leading within that part of the business. So when an organization like that decides to invest in development and you talk about it as leadership development, who qualifies for that type of investment, who qualifies as a leader in organizations like that? Because I see that a lot in observer of an organization right now, undergoing lots of change, asking a lot out of all of its people, but you're seeing an inadequate equipping of all of those people. And so is it because they're not all leaders or is it because they're not being all treated as leaders? It's a great question. And so the technical response is that everyone is a leader because leadership is influence. So it's not, we're not talking manager development. We're talking leader development. The difference is the context in which they're leading. So we started, I'll just use that example. We started with the executive leadership team within business operations because it was important that they understood the language of leadership and that they understood the model we were using, the tools we were using and the vision for this. That group of leaders is now serving as mentors and coaches and they facilitate leader-led sessions between the cohort sessions that HRD is leading. So they're very engaged. They're modeling the way, which is part of the success of the process, right? It's not just a one and done. It's part of the culture. Kim is also always talking about the leadership practices that we do throughout the process. So culturally, it's gotten ingrained because we started there. Mm -hmm. And so then it was the next year, it was, okay, let's take the next level of leader And so when I say 300 leaders, it's now become this like this trickle down. And we're just this year, now we're starting to do individual contributors. So emerging leaders. So they don't have direct reports, but they're influencing stakeholders and customers every single day because of the work that they're doing. So their their leadership span is a little bit different, but it's leadership. But what I heard you say is, The next year we dealt with the next level of leader, which I think is so critical. You didn't try to tackle it all at once. Like you created models, you empowered that executive team to be models, to be coaches. And that took time, which you mentioned earlier in our conversation, aspect of time. And then moved down to equip and empower that next level. And then the next year, the next level. And so that... I feel like 
in my own observations, is a huge missing piece. These organizations want to initiate change. They're passionate about it. It's change that needs to happen, but they do it all at once. And so it feels haphazard. It feels really overwhelming and people just tap out. You got it. Again, chunking. Make it manageable. Make it easy. Make it digestible and understandable. And create an environment. The other thing that did is then when other leaders began participating, the environment was rich because there was a relatability from the leaders of the participants. Oh, Craig has participated in this. So he's going to day to day, he's going to help take me through this process and support my growth with much more depth than if he weren't involved. It's not people, it's not your team leader saying, this is the direction we're going because we've been told this is where we're going. This is the direction we're going because I believe that's where we need to go. Yes. And when I went and when I went through the values clarification exercise, here's what I struggled. And here's what I ended up coming up with. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your values. Mm -hmm. That's just a much richer conversation because we've now both participated in it. And we've got this, we've got shared values that strengthen the trust in our relationship. For me, the language I would use is it's all about that shared story. You're creating Mm, a single narrative, a single story that people can step into. And that's just really important. That leads me to our last question. You you wrote The Power in the Pivot and you talk about staying in the hard moments. And there's a lot of advice out there that talks about if it doesn't feel good, move on. If it gets hard, and it just doesn't feel aligned to you, tap out, move on. Do the thing that brings you joy is the mainstream advice. And so as you talk about that, staying in the hard moments, what does that look like? And what are some maybe real life examples that you can give? Yeah, it's so funny. I got tears in my eyes as you're asking me that question. (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay, you don't cry very often. You need to know I am always crying. I need to hang out with you more. If if I'm not moved to tears in a conversation, something's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I love this question so much. And I think grace is such an important part of this question. Do I stay or do I go? Is how I would like bottom line your question. And nobody can answer that question for you. In my experiences, I think about like relationships. I think about jobs. I think about groups I've been a part of that I've started to feel this. I don't know, something's off here. And you got to press into that, right? And explore it. And uh, have there been times I have probably stayed too long? Have there been times that I should have stayed longer? Yes, of course. But did I learn something through it all? And am I proud of my courageousness at times? Yes. Am I proud of my, or am I proud of being a coward sometimes? No, I can think of situations right now. I'll give you a, just a, a real example. There's a, there's a group that I'm participating in that I'm really only doing because of some of the people in the group. I felt off about the experience. I felt off about the facilitator. And when I, and I think an important thing in those moments is like getting quiet but I was struggling to discern. I was feeling like, no, don't do it. But I was struggling. Is that my like inner voice or is that ego? I don't know. I don't know what that is. And because there are a couple of people that are a part of this group that I so trust and value that are encouraging me to stay in it, I'm going to follow their voice. 
because I'm not sure what my inner voice is telling me right now. <laughs> so I'm just paying attention to it. And I know that there will be a time when I will know for sure, but it's not right now. I don't know for sure right now. So it's really what? just the stepping, going, <laughs> circling back to our earlier conversation, s- stepping into that struggle, just being willing. It's like right now yeah. that just calls yeah. forth an image of stepping out into the ocean when the waves are just like raging against you. And you know that you can turn back and be on the shore, but you also know if you step out too soon, you're going to miss something just magnificently beautiful. Yeah. And so you have that option of, do I stay and weather these waves that are raging against me and have that opportunity to see something beautiful? Or do I turn back and stand on shore where it's easy? And that isn't an easy answer ever, but to be willing to embrace, it's okay that it's hard. Don't run away from this too quickly. Get quiet. And if you don't have the answer, like you said, tune into the voices of those around you that you trust and lean into that until you do have the clarity yourself. Yes. And I do believe like you can't mess it up. Whatever you choose to do is what you choose to do. There'll be goodness there, just as there would have been in the other choice you would have made. I, yeah, I think we get too hung up on, gosh, I wish I had smarter words for this. But the thing that's coming to mind is like that where it's at is in the thing. That's not the right words, but I don't think our power is in the thing or the choice. I think our power is inside of us and that is with us wherever we are. Like that's the constant, not good. That's it. So it goes back to relationship with self. So should I stay or should I go? I don't really think it matters. Are you like, where are you? Mm -hmm. Tap into you and find that goodness wherever you are. Yeah. Here I am crying again. I know. I love it. I love it. (laughs) I love this conversation. I love that you were willing to hop on and chat with us. How can people stay in touch with you? How can they learn more about you? You want to hear more of my teary, teary eye commentary? (laughs) Please listen to being at work. You'll get to hear me cry a lot, share a lot of vulnerability. Andrea Butcher on LinkedIn. I post a lot of content there as well. And I'm a connector. Connection is one of my core values. Every time I do the values clarification exercise, some version of connection comes up. So please don't hesitate to reach out if you want to connect. All right. Thanks so much, Andrea. Thank you, Lindsay. As founder and CEO at Storyhouse 15, my vision is to build a world of people who have answered the call that's been uniquely placed upon their lives. So if you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. And if you're ready to grow and pivot with clarity and confidence, be sure to stop by and say hello at storyhouse15.com.